This is the Matt Townsend Show. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. Your guide on the side. If we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you some of Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. I am the middle child of five children. I have two older sisters, a younger sister and a younger brother, and we're all about two years apart in age. So that made for some very fun and some very chaotic times. Have you ever seen Charlie Brown and how in that show all the grown-ups don't actually seem to have voices? It's just kind of some obscure sound every time the grown-ups talk. Well, sometimes I think childhood really can be kind of like that. Not that our parents don't have a huge influence on us or that we don't remember what they said or anything. But when I think back to my childhood memories, most of them aren't filled with doing stuff with my parents necessarily and all the sage advice they gave me. But a lot of my memories are with my social circle, who were my siblings. I learned a lot of stuff from them, and they kind of shaped my world. My older sister taught me how to tie my shoes and how to play cards, and the shows I watched and the way I dressed and the things I laughed at, even, were all influenced by my siblings, how I treated other people, how I saw the world. And our house was always a hoot growing up with five kids all in elementary together, and then almost everyone a teenager at the same time. They are the people I felt the most love for and the most hate for and frustration for. And I always wondered, you know, if being a sibling is such a huge part of my life and it has had such an influence on who I am and how I make decisions and how my siblings make decisions, why isn't there some sort of guidebook out there? I mean, I've heard a lot of parenting advice, but what about sibling advice? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I found this great interview with expert Avidan Malevsky, where he teaches all about the pros and cons of having siblings. Now, I hear you have a really interesting story about how you got into studying siblings. Yes. Yeah, so obviously, like many researchers, there's always a personal piece to it. So I'm, I'm one of uh, a network of five siblings. Uh, we're, we're very, very close with one another. We're four brothers and a, and, a, and a little sister. And we were always interested in the fact that instead of hanging out with friends growing up, we often just uh, hung out with each other. Yeah. And, and, and we ourselves as teenagers came up with a term that we're very sibling-focused, and we're not very friend-focused. And we just made it up, and as I was getting older and getting my Ph.D. in psychology, I was wondering, really, is there such a thing? Yeah. Is there such a thing as being sibling-focused and being a bit less on the friend end? Well, and because to me, it's you're already, again, This is we're doing the show here at Brigham Young University. We are known for big families, big families, uh, large, you know, extended families. And I look at having, I have six kids myself, Avidan, and I sit there and I think, you know, worst case scenario, they've got each other to hang out with. So, and this kind of thing has gone on for eons. This is how it's been, it seems like. So it's, it seems like it should provide really positive benefits. Well, absolutely. It provides benefits at each stage of development. So for children, studies do show that children who are close with their siblings are doing better in school. They have less depression, higher self-esteem, less loneliness. Uh, during the adolescent years, they're less likely to abuse drugs. Hmm. They're more likely to achieve in their identity formation. In adulthood, also, any tr- adult transition is made easier when you're close to a sibling. And studies even show that you are aging more successfully 
if you have a close sibling bond. So wow. throughout life, having a close sibling relationship is an unbelievable benefit. Oh, that's, see, that is amazing to me. You would, I mean, it's everything, really. And is, is that Absolutely. an ongoing relationship, or is that just having a strong sibling relationship when you were young? So it, studies do show that people who are closer to their siblings early tend to remain close throughout life. Okay. So that really behooves parents to make sure that they're doing the right things to create that bond early so you really are giving them a lifelong gift. Yeah. Does it, I guess, so if somebody's an only child, are they just out there listening thinking, oh, great, I'm so, dead? Uh, Often when I deal with this in class, and I, and I do lectures on this, I, I often have a, a, an only child get offended by this research. Sure. And unfortunately, sometimes research can be offensive. You bet. And I, I think this is one of these examples where there's obviously a bit of a controversy, but again, I think it's an element of just only children feeling bad about it. But there's so many advantages in terms of learning about conflict resolution and mm-hmm. sharing and engaging others that we learn early in our sibling bond, if you're lacking that, you're lacking these uh, interesting and, and, and academic and social kind of benefits. Oh, you think about it. All of your first fights and even some of your last fights, all of these things took place just with your siblings. I remember my sister's I learned about privacy, being in the only boy in a house with four women and three sisters at all different developmental stages. And, you know, all of a sudden, privacy becomes a big issue, you know, eavesdropping on their conversations. Everything I was learning through life was coming through these siblings. Right. And, the, and these are things, again, that you're going to be applying as soon as you move on and have other relationships and at work with coworkers, you name it. It's that first microcosm of engaging others that happens on the sibling level. If you're lacking that, you really are at a disadvantage in so many things as you uh, develop. You bet. Does, it, um, does the family size matter? Does it matter how many siblings? And can you have diminishing returns if the families are too big? It seems like some of the kids will get lost or left behind. So studies tell us that there's advantages and disadvantages to both. So obviously, if there's many, many kids out there, they're often competing for parental attention. You bet. The mom has a limited amount of time in the evening to do bedtime routines and reading stories. And if there's four kids fighting for that 20-minute slot, it's going to create some kind of tension. So studies do show that in larger families, there's a bit more sibling conflict as it relates to getting mm. the attention of parents. Yeah, On the other hand, when it's larger families, you have sub, like, subgroups yeah. of sibling relationships. So I may not get along very well right now with my older brother, but with my younger brother, I'm really close right now. So you always have someone to depend on. So that's really the, the, the advantages and disadvantages of large families. Even smaller families, when there's like just two or three children there, there's less of that issue of competing for parental attention. Yeah. But then you definitely do have a difficulty where if there's a problem, suddenly the problem for me is the entire sibling bond. So there are advantages and disadvantages to both. It's um, It really is because we like we have with our we have six kids and I sit there and we've kind of they've kind of created two different groups, the olders and the old ones and the youngins. And it's it's really, you know, you can almost tell that they they learn different things just at their different stages. My oldest daughter became much more kind of like a parent. And my younger kids are maybe more free-spirited. For sure. And studies definitely do show that these older kids 
are often tending to younger ones and larger families. So yeah. in addition to the sibling bond, in addition to what learning about conflict resolution and things like that, you, you're learning how to tend to young and eventually could be using these uh, achievements and applying them when a person eventually uh, is a parent themselves. So on multiple levels, when you have larger families, there are different things that could be learned across the entire sibling constellation. <laughs> You know, we uh, had on the show a while ago the Duggars, nineteen kids and counting. Oh, wow. uh, do you remember them? And they they're they're hot. They're on uh, cable, and they have a great show out there. One of the things we learned with the family, though, is how much they all take care of each other. I mean, that's nineteen kids. That yeah. seems crazy in a way, but T- that's on TLC. But one of the things they they all of the kids would talk about is. Um, just this, it's kind of this bond they have to each other and they watch out for each other and they care for each other. And that's one of the things the parents push really strongly is the need to protect and watch out for each other. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I'm not aware of any research studies that actually have samples yeah. of families with 19 kids. So <laughs> it's probably a hard a comparison, study. isn't it? It's more of a case study than a quantitative yeah. study. I know that my six kids, we have the same impact as 19, like when we go to a restaurant. <laughs> we, we, they, they, everyone. The minute we walk in, they look at us like, "Oh boy!" You take over. I there, see. there goes the tip. Um, talk about the advantages of. Um, I mean, I guess it's maybe not advantage. That may not be the best word, but talk about the impact of the large family on the individual child. Like, if you're just the, if you're number three, and and does the birth order kind of matter? What's the impact of being number three versus number one in the family or number six? So you, it's, it's, when you have these larger families, one of the things that studies do talk about is the identity process. So if you're number one, you have a very definitive identity. You're the oldest. You take care. And, and studies do show that there are advantages throughout life. Some studies even indicate that if you're an oldest, you're scoring 10 points higher on an IQ wow. uh, score because of that sense of responsibility yeah. and they had more time. Number three comes around, and where do they exactly fit in? Do they follow? Do they model the first one? Do they model the second one? So there's the whole literature about identification processes within families. And when you have larger sibships or larger groups of siblings, some of the older ones have a bit of a more difficult time standing out in the group. Mm. And, and, and studies uh, do indicate that in larger families, some of them may have difficulties during the adolescent years, and they may get involved with delinquency or risky behavior yeah. because they really had a tough time standing out in the crowded mm-hmm. group of siblings. Yeah, they got to go, go kind of make a name for themselves. Absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a break. We're talking with Dr. Avidan Malevsky. Tons of information here about how to create healthier relationships. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're listening to an interview with Avidan Malevsky all about the pros and cons of sibling relationships. And that last segment was packed with really useful information, I thought. He said that sibling relationships provide benefits at each stage of development. People who are close to their siblings tend to do better in school, have less depression and loneliness, are less likely to abuse drugs, and can make a smoother transition into adulthood. And you might be thinking, yeah, well, all I remember was fighting and bickering every two seconds with my brother. And I can relate. 
In my family, there was no such thing as those angelic siblings who seem to find no fault with one another. Still completely baffles me when I see siblings like that. No, we still fight and bicker to this day. But we also try to support each other in any way we can. And Dr. Malevsky said that sibling relationships teach us conflict resolution skills and social engagement. And I think that is so true. I volunteered for a few years in a foreign country and was paired up with different people I had never met before and had to learn to live with them for months. And each time I got a new partner, they each had their own quirks and struggles. But I really felt like growing up in a home where every single one of my siblings was very unique in their own way and had their own challenges and were very different from me, yet I had to share a room with each one of them made it a lot easier to get along with these different people I was forced to live with and understand them on a deeper level. And Dr. Malevsky also talked about how family size matters because that determines how many people you have to compete with for attention and birth order affects your identity. Man, he has so many fascinating things to share. I can't stop taking notes. So let's continue listening to this interview where he's going to talk about the benefits of sibling rivalry and how parents should get involved. Talk about these sibling, the fights. I mean, I see it with my kids and there's just, they just, it's like this pecking order and everyone has their different moods. And so when we think of our kids fighting, brothers and sisters fighting, is that, is that a problem or is that just normal run of the mill? It's more than just normal. I think it's a, it's a healthy process of child development. Okay. So when kids are fighting, in essence, it does not mean that they hate each other. Good. We often mix that up. Oh, they're fighting to hate each other. Yeah. They absolutely don't. Actually, I'm more concerned when siblings just ignore each other. Oh, that's they true. They don't trigger any mood whatsoever uh, when they engage each other, because that means that there's really nothing happening between them. Yeah, when they're indifferent to each other. Passion. Yeah. And, and I guess there, there's a... Is there a pecking order? I mean, is it is this where they're actually testing where they fit in society? It seems like, you know, one of mine will take on another one and my hot-headed son will take on the kid two sizes bigger and it's right, just you testing know, ground. You learn, right, you learn social engagement from that process, right? Parents who swoop in and just shut down any kind of fighting are really robbing kids from that opportunity to learn about how to engage one another and how to mm. involve in conflict resolution. It's a normal thing for, for siblings to have some kind of fights. They're competing over parents. They're competing over resources. Uh, they're competing over time, right? It's, uh, just imagine, I don't know, if a spouse comes up to you and says, hey, I'm bringing in a new wife for, for a couple <laughs> years now. Uh, right. Obviously, there would be difficulties. That's in really, in essence, what happens here. You have an older child who is the, the, the king or queen of the house, and suddenly mom is pregnant, and some new kid comes along, and now we have to share everything. So it is completely natural for there to be some kind of rivalry going on there. It's, 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 it's part of the uh, normal development early on. Oh, that's and good. And when, when you fight and, and parents respond the right way, it really provides for them the opportunity to learn about how to do this in the right, mm. in the right way. So then when they reach adulthood, they know how to engage other people in healthy ways. Well, see, and that, I guess that's part of it, huh? Because as parents, we might feel like we're losers. Our kids are falling apart. They always fight. But this is a natural stage. What I guess there are better ways to intervene than other. I mean, I had a relative once that just bought boxing gloves. <laughs> and he just basically, you know, put them in the basement. 
You guys take it downstairs. We got gloves down there. Duke it out. That may not seem like a a great idea. Uh What are the best ways for parents to intervene when their kids are fighting? So studies indicate two things. First of all, primarily families fall into one of three categories of how they intervene. You either have those who, what we call interventionists, yeah. swoop in, you sit in that room, you sit in that room, and don't talk to each other until you graduate. <laughs> right? that's, that's one form. The second form, those who don't get involved. They tell them, don't, don't talk to me, take care of yourself, go talk to your dad about it. Th- those are the non-involvement ones. The third kind, which is studies are showing most advantageous, is what we call the coaching parents. Those are the parents who, when kids are fighting, they get down and they actually let them talk it out. So they don't start out by saying who started it, because we never, ever find out who started a fight between siblings. It's, right. No oh, yeah. That's like not the, the best question to ask siblings who started it. We also don't find, find out who broke the vase, right? We don't right. find out who broke the television. One of those things you absolutely never find out. But you could have them talk about what did you do? What did the other one do? Oh, good. Let them finish up their point, And when someone jumps in and says, that's not true, I didn't do that, tell them, hey, it's going to be your time in a few minutes to explain what happened. But now your sister is talking through these things. And mm. They'll know that you're serious about it and that you will give them the time to talk because you're consistent with it. Yeah. And then when one is done, you tell them, okay, is there anything else you want to tell me about what happened? Okay, now you go to the other one. Now it's your turn. And again, you don't let them jump in and intervene. You let them tell the story. And then you tell them, okay, what could you have done differently when you wanted that truck or when you wanted her to leave the bedroom because you wanted some privacy? What could you have done differently? And you let them walk through that process. Okay, you know what? There are other things I could have done. And it empowers them. Mm. It shows them that there are other ways of doing it. I love it. These kinds of things don't come naturally. It's not genetic for us to know how to do this conflict resolution. Right. We have to learn it. We learn it by fighting when we're dealing with parents swooping in and doing it the right way, meaning if they just fight, right. just boxing gloves down in the basement, <laughs> that's not where you're going to learn. No. You're going to fight, plus parents coming in and coaching the right way, that's where you're giving them a brilliant kind of learning opportunity. I love it because you're, you're also teaching them, I mean, this is setting up a long-term relationship because there's going to be issues forever. Uh, with each other, with, you know, families. And eventually, if we don't know how to fight because someone's always going to intervene, and that happens all the time, even with adults where parents keep intervening and the kids are disabled because they don't know how to do it, or the or the parents that just, you know, I don't want to be involved, keep me out of this. It's really teaching a skill, isn't it? That's your key here. Absolutely. And uh, those who don't get involved, there's a family pattern really often of not dealing with any difficult emotions. Yeah. And, and often that really comes from the marital relationship. So when, when, when a, a husband and wife don't really talk uh, about anything too serious and we love each other and we don't talk about anything that bothers us, that kind of pattern permeates the whole family. So we learn that when there are difficulties, we don't talk about it. You go there, you go there, we don't have to real deal with it. And then you become older, and there are real things that need to be tended to in terms of the family cycle. But we've learned that we don't talk about issues. We don't really know how to navigate through difficult times. We love each other. We say, I love you ten times a day, but we don't really love each other. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to actually engage people and engage family members to deal with real problems that are going to come up. Again, you learn that if early on when you were fighting and parents walked you through that conflict resolution process, you give them really that gift to apply it in many other contexts. I love it. And, and uh, not even to mention just emotion management, that you can't like just go knowledge. off and pound somebody and you can't just run away and slam doors. We're going to deal with this and you're going to have to learn to control your emotion real time. 
Right. And again, these things are not genetic. Yeah. Naturally, we don't know how to do that. No. The same way we learn how to read and write and go to school, academic learning, we also have to learn emotional learning. We get that from our parents when we're fighting with siblings. I love it. And really, because the parent hears the fight going on and we're all like, oh, here we go. It's going to ruin the night. But I guess all it's saying is learning moment. <laughs> here we go. Let's figure out we've got it. And the learning moments come you know, when they come. You just almost have to be willing to deal with it when it's there, right? For sure. And studies show that siblings, when they're younger, they fight on average seven times an hour. Holy cow. It's many, many, many learning opportunities. Now, obviously, sometimes we're tired and we're exhausted. It's been a long day. We're not going to every single time get up and walk through this coaching process. But overall, our default setting should be that coaching process. Love it. Every once in a while, you know what? You're out in the supermarket or you're out somewhere publicly and they get into a fight. You're not going to now sit down and coach them. Sometimes you have to do swoop in and say, that's it. It's over. But the default should be coaching when they're younger. Or you could just lean back in your lazy boy and yell, don't make me come up there. And then they all just shut up. (laughs) It it helps temporarily. It doesn't. It doesn't work. Hey, uh, talk about, I know you write about it a lot, sibling de-identification. What do you mean by that? So many people notice that siblings from the same family could seem unbelievably different as if they were brought up in different planets. So you have people who were brought up in the same home. They share it from a genetic pool. But for some reason, siblings could be unbelievably different in terms of academics, personality, uh, interests, hobbies. And for many years, researchers were wondering, how can that actually be? And often people just spoke about the fact that even though siblings in the same family are, are living together, but they have what the literature referred to as a non-shared environment. Mm, yeah. There was a lot of their environment that's not shared. They have different kind of friends. Parents engage kids differently based on older one, younger one. But a more appropriate and more direct thing that's happening here is this de-identification. What happens is that siblings sometimes on their own make a conscious decision to have an identity that's different than my sibling, to Hmm. de-identify. Right? So if my older sibling is known as X, and if I would follow that model, it's more of an opportunity to be in conflict with him or her. Sure, and in comparison... Right, a lot of comparisons. If I'm similar to my older brother or sister, they're constantly going to compare me. My parents are going to compare in school, in the community, in the neighborhood. So what I may do to try to avoid that conflict is de-identify. If they're known as X, I'm going to be Y. If they like swimming, I'm going to be into karate. If they're good at math, I'm going to be good at English. If they're extroverted, I'm going to be more introverted. And you actually find a conscious decision by second siblings primarily to try to do some, something different to try to avoid that conflict with Interesting. the Interesting, yeah. I mean, it seems like and that depressurizes it. That, right, and minimizes the conflict, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess, though, they could be uh, de-identifying to their own detriment, right? Like not doing something that they could excel at and instead growing something just absolutely. to be different. That, that's, the, that's the big red flag here. So de-identification is a healthy process. But not if it's done arbitrarily. So sometimes parents start this very young, and they realize that they need to de-identify their kids. But unfortunately, they do it in arbitrary ways. Like, oh, you're the academic one, so you'll be the the sport. That's not the way to do it. It's got to be coming from truly their own unique abilities and letting them really make some decisions about the de-identification. But just arbitrarily deciding and labeling siblings. You'll be this one, and you'll be that one. (laughs) That's definitely to the detriment. Well, parents, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the athlete. Oh, yeah, he's the smart one. 
Right, and they're saying that when the kid is four months old. <laughs> so pathetic, I know. Yeah, he picks up his blocks. Um, <laughs> it's a really interesting thing, too, because it's we, we don't even know this is going on, and yet I, I have a son that just simply chose, he's a great athlete, but he's just chosen music to be his identity, and it really has set him aside in the family. It's just, it's such an interesting, it's a choice you're saying, though. It's an intentional, I guess subconscious for some, but... It's a choice. Right. To avoid the conflict, to stand out, to have an identity. But again, if it's done arbitrarily, if it's just thrown yeah, a random. label by parents, that's the problem. But if yeah. it's coming naturally, that's a healthy process. Sounds awesome. I mean, really, it sounds – and it, it might be even – it's enabling. It lets you be, be who you want to be. Uh, Dr. Avidan Malevsky is joining us. We're going to take a break, come back, continue this discussion about siblings and the impact we have on each other. Sure, we're different. Uh, But apparently some of it is de-identification. We'll be right back after this break. sticking with us. I'm Leanna Tan, and this is The Matt Townsend Show. If you think that stopping any sign of confrontation or fighting in your home the moment you sense it is good parenting, our guest today is challenging that idea. We're listening to Avidan Malevsky talk about the benefits of sibling relationships. And in the last segment, one thing he talked about was that siblings who are fighting are normal and that parents shouldn't stop fighting altogether necessarily because they are learning different social engagement skills when they're fighting. I also personally felt like fighting with my siblings gave me a little more grit, more insight into others, taught me some communication skills, and ultimately taught me a lot about myself. Because you act differently around your siblings than you would anyone else, and often your worst sides come out. But Dr. Malevsky said that there are three ways that parents typically intervene. They either stop the fighting altogether and separate the two kids and let them stew by themselves. They don't do anything, and they just figure the kids will sort it out themselves. Or there's a third method, and that's the one that Dr. Malevsky advises all parents use, which is that the parents coach the children through the conflict resolution process and let each child state their story and kind of guide them to solve their own problems and make up with each other. And I can really see how that would have saved me a lot of fingernail gouges and loss of hair. So let's finish off this interview with Dr. Malevsky and hear what he has to say about parent intervention. In this last part, he goes into more detail of how parents should intervene and involve themselves as their children become adults. I assume in your counseling practice, you have a lot of, I always see like kind of the hovering parents that are always kind of you know, constricting the growth of their child. Do you see, is there such a thing as a hovering sibling? Is there such a thing as a too protective sibling? So studies indicate that obviously the sibling constellation or the age component is going to play a role with that. But usually when you have a hovering sibling or you have an intrusive sibling as you're an adult already, chances are something that the parents did what's creating that. They're, They're teaching a model of hovering. Right. And, and one of the things that I work when I work with adult clients on repairing their sibling relationship, I really try to hone in on that 
parental component. So the literature refers to it as the parental context. Mm, okay. And often we blame our siblings for things that happen yeah. or, or that happen to us now as adults. But when you're honest about it and you ask yourself, how did this happen? How did this develop? How do you have these negative memories about your sibling growing up? If you're honest about it, you start realizing how much our parents mm. did things that were not necessarily healthy and ultimately were blaming the wrong people. Often it's the parental context. And once clients are able to really free themselves from that or appreciate that concept, they're able to forgive their sibling and reach out to them. Now, you obviously have to do something with the parental piece, right? Yeah. But in terms of the sibling component, realizing how intrusive sometimes parents were in the past, creating the negative negativity, and even sometimes even as adults, older parents are still intervening removing the parents often creates that kind of special relationship that we should have with our siblings. I've seen it with parents where, you know, the mom or whatever will come in and say, oh, well, did you hear what your sister said about you? And you're right, like, that, no, that's a what? Very straight way in which they're, they're <laughs> na- manipulating the relationship in negative ways. Yeah. Oh, parents, stay away from that. Absolutely. absolutely. And then a lot of the memories we have from our past, right? So you, you were jealous of your sibling. And then you, as you talk about it, you realize, well, you know what? Your parents really favored them yeah. in very obvious ways. So it's not your sister's fault that she always got more things than you did. She was obviously going to receive it from the parents. It's the parents who made the mistake. So really shifting the blame onto who really created yeah. that helps in freeing us and reaching out to our sibling to have the relationship that we really should be having. Because they're a peer. It, it would, might be better to have the peer relationship and be able to just understand that mom and dad struggled and had their thing. Because your peer is going to last with you a longer time. I mean, not the peer. Your, your brother, your sister can go with you through life. You know? right, for sure, and, and appreciating that, and the fact that also if you think about adulthood in general, or we're, we're, we're reaching to an adulthood with the higher divorce rate and smaller families, and we're living longer, if we could really create that with our sibling, mm. we may have a, just in general, when you, look at, you think about the sibling relationship, we could have a sibling relationship that lasts for 80 years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the longest relationship we could have. So uh-huh. really appreciating the fact how important it is to really invest in that sibling relationship and removing the parental component could really provide for us a lifelong gift. What should the parents be doing um, to not intervene too much, to not get in the way, to not step on the toes? What should we be teaching our children? Right. So when we're talking about sibling coaching, what we spoke about a little yeah. while ago, that's appropriate when kids are younger. So preschool age kids, elementary school age kids, studies show that if you try to intervene later, it's actually detrimental to the relationship. So once you've taught them those conflict resolution strategies, once you did the coaching early on, at some point when kids transition into the pre-adolescent and adolescent years, you slowly start pulling back and you let them now apply the messages that you taught them, right? Mm. You, once you learn how to swim, you're going to put a kid in the water and let them swim. So at some point, pull back from the coaching and let them have the relationship that they, they can have now because they've learned from you early on how to do that. The worst thing is when you continue coaching them and you continue hovering them and then that lasts into adulthood. I, I recently worked with a family who the, the, the siblings were all in their 30s and 40s and still the mother was making sure that they called each other for birthdays and make uh, sure that they all came together and yeah. you know it's his, uh, he graduated so make sure to reach out to him. The 
parents were still intervening right. and really invading the, 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 the independence of their adult children, and that really created major, major conflict between the siblings. And unfortunately what happens sometimes is that once the parents pass at some point, then if the parents were those who ones who kept the relationship going, once they, the, yeah, the, gone. they're no longer there, what ha- who's, who's the glue that's keeping it together? That's true. And it falls apart often. No, that's so true. And it, and it really is a neat idea as a parent to be sitting there thinking, I need to strengthen these relationships. And instead of being jealous that my kids are getting together, they don't always have to have me there. So if, if I have kids getting together, I don't have to go with them. Right. It should make a, a mother or a father so proud yeah. when they hear that their two adult siblings got together for coffee alone to yeah. talk. Like, what, a, what an accomplishment. What an achievement. Yeah. If you get offended that they didn't invite you for coffee, you have to ask yourself, what's wrong with you internally? Sure. What are you lacking that you need to invade that? But what a gift it is when you hear that your, when your children are getting together alone and they're supporting each other. It's, it's a job well oh, done. It really is. And I think in the end, man, how great that all of a sudden you have two kids calling you, telling you something about a third child just to make sure you knew. To know your kids are that engaged, watching out for each other, yeah, you've you've hit payday apparently. Right. That that's what, what a wonderful goal that is to have that without feeling slighted that you weren't invited. You were yeah. able to create such a bond. You created a relationship. Be very proud of that. Hey, Avidan, in all your research on this, I mean, this is what I love about talking to experts that spend their whole life on a subject like this. What what's the big thing? What is the biggest takeaway that for you? has meant the most to you and your family, your, your siblings, your kids? What, what matters the most to you from what you've learned? I think what's most important to learn is what a lifelong gift this actually is. So childhood, adolescence, adulthood, aging, you, if, if you do the right things early, when the family is young and the kids are young and the parents do the right things in terms of not favoring them and intervening the right ways and allowing them to de-identify, you do that correctly, you will be giving your children a lifelong gift that lasts longer than any iPhone and any tablet and any oh. kind of video game. It is a true gift that you give them for their whole life if you do things correct early. So true. And really... Um, and then you give your grandkids can discern and, and can receive those gifts and great grandkids. For it's sure. something that'll be handed down. Absolutely. Love it. Okay, Avidan, you are the man. Hey, what, um, where do they get your book, Sibling Relationships? It's available in any, uh, on Amazon, things like that. I have a okay. website, avidanmolevsky.com. I'm on Twitter, on, on Facebook. They could reach out for my research and little articles that I write about the subject in terms of how to help families really create a stronger sibling bond. That's great stuff. Avidan, we so appreciate you. Keep up the good work, and we'll have you back next time we need to figure out our brothers and sisters. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. We just finished a very enlightening interview with Matt and Dr. Avidan Malevsky about the benefits of sibling relationships and how parents should intervene. In the last part of the interview, he advised that parents should teach and coach their children through conflict resolution strategies while they're young so they can learn how to solve their own problems. But then once they start hitting adolescence, step back and let them apply what you've taught. 
slowly back away so that you're not hovering and keeping them from developing and growing and maturing. And I thought that was really wise advice. So far, today's episode has been all about the impact sibling relationships have on us. And I'm a firsthand witness that they are very influential. When you grow up with siblings, that's pretty much your gauge for the rest of the world. Everyone else's thoughts and actions are weighed against what your siblings do and think because, for all you know, that's the norm. So research and personal experience have proven that these relationships are extremely important. So the question is, how do we create healthy relationships with our siblings? Because we've all seen these relationships can either help us and shape us for good or make everything turn south and be very traumatizing. Well, to close up today's segment, I'm going to play part of an interview Matt did with Julie Nelson all about this topic. She's going to teach us how to help foster good sibling relationships in kids as parents and how to mend old wounds as siblings ourselves. Now, not all of our family members, believe it or not, are messed up. Mm. Some are fairly normal. Yeah. And you may be one. You may not be one of those. So how do we grow healthy relationships with our bros and sows, our mm. brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, your your talk, your show um, ahead of time, the guest talked about being, um, having from childhood, not playing favorites, you know, yeah. be, be sure that you start out with kids who don't feel like you favor one or the other. Um, you know, for example, I had a, a student who said that her parents said that her curfew was at 10, but her brothers, she was a twin, mm-hmm. her brothers was 11 and she's a Y. Well, because he's a boy. Well, he's a boy. Boys can stay out. I know. How much kind of resentment is that going to create in their young adult years, which she does now have? Does she? Yeah. He was always favored. And, you know, the other thing about with our old, older children as they become parents is to not continue that playing favorites into their young adulthood. Oh, see. And middle life. Because this is the other scenario. You get the parent who, let's see, I have a son who's the corporate lawyer and I have a son who is a... Yeah. Yeah, fill in the blank. Okay, uh, he, he, a machinist. He, a machinist. And so they get phone calls saying, guess what? Your brother's mm-hmm. just said, oh, he's traveling yeah. the world. He's yeah. presenting papers. He just bought this house. And the machinist is sitting there listening to this, mm-hmm. the success of the other brother. And it continues on yeah. um, into their middle age and older age years where the other brother can do no wrong. And he's the golden child. See, parents, see, that's what that, see, my sisters call me the golden child. Mm-hmm. And I actually like to leverage that. <laughs> That I was the baby and spoiled rotten. So, you know, yeah. get off my back. Or, yeah. Or the moms who one stays at home with their children raising them and then the other sister or brother is yeah. out there making lots of money. And then she gets phone calls from the parent all the yeah. time saying, well, guess what she just did and how much money she got. Promotion. And the mom's sitting at home going, I do nothing but raise kids. Yeah. And nobody values what I do. So true. And so we've got to continue even into young adult middle age as having children feel that they're equally loved and validated. But it's funny because the fair um, is a – what's fair to some isn't – so you may not need to loan money to the lawyer. Mm-hmm. But you may need – you may give a special Christmas to the brother with – that's the machinist. Mm-hmm. So that's also could be fair. So you – I mean that's what's hard about this is – some people, it's fair doesn't mean dollar for dollar for dollar for dollar. And I see parents, in-laws, everybody gets caught up in trying to make everything fair. Mm-hmm. But, you know, somebody that's making 500000 a year probably doesn't need, you know, the big Christmas that you might be able to provide to another that needs it. So how do you smooth over So how I smooth obvious? that over? how I smooth that over is um, I would say uh, to not compare and to celebrate – 
and have generosity of spirit for your siblings. You now go. we can start this young, where so and so got an A on their paper and you got a B. You don't say, well, for for instance, don't compare. Yeah. And don't say, well, look at her; she got this, and say, well, this is my trophy child. But we we celebrate everyone's accomplishments. Yeah. And the thing about having um, a generosity of spirit is that it doesn't take away. My success by somebody else right. being it's successful. Right, it's not zero sum. You can no. You can have. You everyone can have success on their level and yeah. contribute, but so point it when, out. So when someone has a success, whether you're still in the home or these are adult children, then we celebrate their success just as if we'll celebrate your success because we we add to each other's happiness right. as we are happy for other people. Now, when they have sadness, we also mourn sadness, sure. like he's unemployed or they're having a tough Christmas. What can we do? And we we kind of consolidate our resources and our sympathy yeah. for one another and our celebration. So when someone has something good, we consolidate our our celebrating. We go out and have a great, you know, dinner together and we celebrate this person who's just got a promotion. But when something bad happens, we also consolidate mm-hmm. our grief and we say, what can we pull together to help out our siblings so that we all mourn together, yeah. but we also celebrate together. Well, maybe too, that's it, isn't it? Like maybe we also have to just respect that our parents – also have, I don't know what it is, like a stewardship and insight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they may know better who needs what and where the resources might need to go. So before you jump to the conclusion that they're favoring, yeah, maybe we could just broaden our mind and think, how do they need it differently? I mean, it's just, it's so, because even time, you, you might as a grandparent end up going to one child's games more than another. Mm-hmm. And it simply might be because they're next door. <laughs> Yeah. Or it might be because you can get out on the field and get your chair set up easier at that location yeah. than another location. Yeah. Which is exactly in our family, the same thing. Where I live away from my grand- the grandparents of my kids, they never come to any games. Yeah. But they're always at the games of because they live closer. That's I right. cannot take that away from mm-hmm. them. And, you know, if we keep generating that generosity of spirit and that empathy for when someone is you know having a tough time, it helps the siblings when you have passed away to be there for each other. Oh, that's a Exactly. Because you're not going to be able always to no. be there and orchestrate the, you know, whatever it is. And so we teach our siblings to be there for each other in times of good and in times of bad mm-hmm. and to not feel like it takes away. I had a, a mother just uh, share with me her twins. They, um, well, the two girls, they both got engaged at the same time and they're going to get married within a month of each other. Huh. And these are competitive girls. And at first they're like, "Game on." she's taken away from my special yeah. day. <laughs> and the mom's like, no, it's not taking away. It's going to be even better yeah. that we can celebrate all. So it's, it's changing it's that so perception true. of, gosh, she's having more of the piece of the pie than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, start young and then it will continue throughout. It's brilliant. Their, mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, all another thing we want to do is, is to create these healthy relationships is to also create this forgive and forget mentality. Um, that if they're there's something that's happened in their adult life that someone's wronged someone that we want to extend that olive branch and be the first one to say I'm sorry mm-hmm. and that should continue throughout life but what what if they're the one <laughs> so I've been waiting for them to apologize because I figure once they get it well you mentioned the holidays now Thanksgiving especially Christmas mm-hmm. when we got to be thrown together well I'm not going to go to that thing because that so-and-so's there yeah and da 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 Put aside those. As adults, we can do this. We can be bigger yeah. than our than our hurts. Right. And it might even be helpful to, you know, send an email. Look, the holidays are coming and I've missed seeing you. We really haven't gotten along recently. Can we talk about can we talk this out? I want to see you there at the table. It's cool. Send them an email. Um, if there's a reluctant sibling, 
don't stop inviting them. Just because I said no once, keep going. Yeah. There's plenty of years for you guys to keep working at that relationship. And if you never hear back from them, don't stop. Mm-hmm. There was an example of two uh, uh, brothers who they were jealous of each other. One always was favored. And we're talking back into their into their 60s and 70s. The one that was not favored yeah. was not speaking. Black sheep. Yes. Yeah. And the nieces and nephews kept saying, hey, you got to, you know, be brothers and all that sort of stuff. Then one day this guy received an email from his brother telling a story about two men who had a stream dividing their properties. One man hired a carpenter to build a fence along the stream, but the carpenter built a bridge by mistake. <laughs> the man th- read the email, and then he wrote back, I'd like to walk over the bridge. Cool. Yeah. And these are guys in their 70s. And then the the brother died not too long after that, and the brother said, I'm so glad. We built the bridge. We built the bridge. Yeah. And it's never too late to build the bridge. No. Never too late. But see, think of the just the spirit of that is mm-hmm. – and. It only takes one of you to build a bridge. Mm-hmm. And even if the bridge is never used, yeah. it's still a bridge. You still have that generosity of spirit and it forgiving. Also, it's good for you even if the person never crosses it. Well, again, to me, that's what I think gets the venom out. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard Stephen has a quote, Covey has a quote that says, um, it was really good and I forgot it. <laughs> it's not the snake that bites you that kills you. It's the running around. It's chasing the snake mm-hmm. that drives the venom to the heart. Yeah. So it's not what your brother did to you that hurt you. Mm-hmm. It's not letting it go, chasing it, and that venom will eventually kill you. That's right. And think suck about, out the venom. And think about your nieces and nephews who are begging you to make uh, good with each other. And finally you do, and they see you reconciling. Mm-hmm. What does that teach the next generation? Don't Huge. hold on to grievances. Well, and that's something that one family can do. I don't need the entire family to unify around an idea, mm-hmm. but I can be the one family that I'm not going to play the game. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hate my brother because others hate him. Mm-hmm. I'm So uh, another idea of Covey, Stephen Covey, was be loyal to the absent. So whenever you're at a family party, if everyone starts bad-mouthing somebody, don't participate. Yeah. And be loyal to that person and talk about how great he was. And if they won't come to the parties, then you go find out great stuff and you bring their great stuff to the party and talk about. So did you hear what John's family did? This was the coolest thing. And bring it up. Awesome. And bring it up and get his spirit there. His spirit there. And then eventually he'll hear. Yeah. He'll hear that everyone was talking about how great that was and. Oh, that's awesome! Isn't that Matt. cool. That's one person. And, I, and my my parents do that so so well. And you know, talking about holidays coming up, what I love is that even in this society where we're living everywhere, it's not like before where we're all in the same town and we got together right. all every other weekend. We, we're in a transit society, and you might have siblings that live in New York and L.A. and all over the place, and we can't get together. But if parents are talking about their accomplishments and how great everyone is, and sharing it, even via technology, having a family website, yeah. um, doing some Skyping, Google Hangout, that keeps the, the connection, the connectivity oh, of siblings, even though we live far away and we may cannot gather around the Thanksgiving Technology is a, is the way my wife is taking all of my mother-in-law's pictures which are literally thousands mm-hmm. and they're archiving them and then they're scanning them and so every week now she's sending out pictures of aunts and family and it's going and it's it's actually unifying yeah. all of these cousins are like no way I want copies of those so now all of this work put together by my wife and her sister are going to be handed out to all extended family everybody's going to have pictures yeah because of and you know what that right there is going to bring 
everyone in. Everyone in. And so keep it going. Uh, bring in technology to keep people connected. Send emails to everyone. This is what's going on with the family. Do a, I have a family. But once a month, the grandparents, both sides, send this is what's going on in all the family members. Love it. So that we can know, oh, An so-and-so update. So, update. Every month that I know what's going on. So Because cool. we don't do it as well. No. Last of all, I, I really like this, and we do in our families, is we have family reunions with adult yeah. siblings. That's I love that. Um, even with kids that can be invited or not. But you know, yeah, just, maybe just every siblings. other a year mm-hmm. you have a big family with yeah. kids and then sometimes you just do dinner with yeah. yours. Just, just the siblings yeah. and the, and the uh, married couples. Love that. Um, without kids. That really creates that longevity of relationships with siblings. And, and you have to do it before grandmas and grandpas pass That's because right. you may not have the stories and the history and the traditions. Absolutely. Oh, see. Absolutely. You can't. You need a family reunion. You do. So right there, everybody, go plan a family reunion for next summer. And if you've never done one before, go look them up. They're not that hard to do, mm-hmm. and um, people do it all the time. We'll come speak. Yeah. <laughs> Just call us. Julie and I will come speak. I'll be the game person, the activities <laughs> coordinator. You I'm could, good at that. I bet you'd be like the cruise director. Yeah. And uh, we'll do the face painting, all that <laughs> oh, stuff. Um, but no, no, those are really unifying things uh, where, they see, cool. where the children see their adult parents, sibling relationships going on into yeah. their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, fantastic time together. Well, I think you got it. You nailed it. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. Everybody out there now, mm-hmm. just do what Julie just said. Mm-hmm. And Matt. Well, that was a great way to wrap up today's episode. Sometimes that's hard to hear, that your negativity with your sibling can affect you well into your adult life. And it's difficult to think that you need to speak up to your sibling and mend old wounds. I don't exactly know why, but the longer you wait, the harder it gets. The siblings in my family growing up used to fight all the time, and people would always say, don't worry, you guys are going to be best friends when you grow up. And I think that's true. Siblings really do grow to love each other and become best friends and look past differences when they get older. But it also means that when you get hurt by a sibling when you're older, sometimes the wounds go deeper, and it hurts a lot more, and the healing takes a lot longer And it's easier to put off because you're not sharing the same bedroom anymore and your mom isn't there to coach you through and say, all right, let's hear your side of the story. But I like Julie's message at the end, that it's never too late to build that bridge. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode, everyone. Remember, it's not the snake bite that kills you. It's chasing the snake that drives the venom to the heart. I'm Leanna Tan, bringing you the best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. Join me again next time for another episode of Matt Townsend.